We are, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. We're going to go through the chapter in three sections, in three weeks. And in all three sections, verses 1 through 11 that we're covering today, verses 12 through 34, and verses 35 through 58, we'll encounter the topic of resurrection. Jesus' resurrection, our own resurrection, and the resurrection body that we will have. We'll, we'll go through those kinds of truths. We'll consider that. And although resurrection is an underlying theme throughout the chapter, each week we'll consider a specific set of truths related to one primary topic. And this week, it's all about the gospel. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. After saying all that he has for 14 chapters, Paul returns to the one topic that he believes is of utmost importance, the gospel message, the good news of what Jesus has done. And in this description of the gospel, we see why the gospel message is relevant not only for the Corinthians, but for all people, for all time. Everything that Paul has been stating in the first 14 chapters, every teaching, every correction, every encouragement, all of that becomes relevant and makes sense only if the hearers of the gospel, the Corinthians then and each of us now, receive the gospel, remember it regularly, and most importantly, take a stand on what we have received. It is by the gospel that we are saved if 
we hold firmly to the word that was preached. That is, if we apply the word and live by the word. And Paul even goes further in verse 2 to say that even if you have believed the gospel message, meaning you are hearers of the word, but you do not hold firmly to it, meaning you are not doers of the word, you have believed in vain. What a statement. What a statement that even if you believe, but you are not holding firmly, there is a certainty of purpose, of conviction, of truth. There is an application. Because, see, if something is important to you, if you think something is valid, if you think something is, is true, you will do something about it. It's not just a belief in your mind. It's not just a thought. But it is translating to action. And, if he, and he says, if you are saying that you have received the gospel, you believe that Jesus is Christ, the Messiah, that you believe the word of God is the word of God, that it is true, that it is for your benefit. You believe all that, but then you don't live it. You don't apply it. You're not consistent in any way in terms of saying, this is what the word means for me in every area of my life. He says, you have believed in vain. I was thinking about this in terms of how best to illustrate this or think about it. And I was, the, the, the thought that came to my mind is it's as if you're believing that a parachute serves the purpose of slowing your descent to the ground. But when you jumped out of the plane, and I don't know which, which ones of you are about to jump out of a plane, but maybe, maybe, but when you jumped out of that plane, for whatever reason, you did not pull the ripcord that opened the parachute. And you can believe that the parachute will do this job. You can believe anything you want about it. But until you pull that ripcord, and of course you've already left the plane, right? you have believed in vain. So what is the gospel message that we are to believe? And what are the implications of believing this gospel message? Well, the gospel, it's all about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Here are the four key truths of the gospel message from verses 3 to 8 that we just read. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, entombed. And we think about this in terms of different things because we bury in the ground this way and it was not quite looking like that in terms of how the burial of Christ is described. But it is very clear that he is buried or entombed. Right? Third, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen by many after his resurrection. In fact, more than 500 people it says. So Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was you know, laid to rest in that sense. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen by many after his resurrection. If you don't know what the gospel is, if you've heard that term many times, if somebody says, oh, I believe in the gospel, and you say, I don't even know what that really means. Well, here's a quick and simple way to say, this is what I believe. 
I believe that Christ went through these steps. Now why? What is the reason for all this? And, and by the way, before I even say what does that really imply or what does it mean, the reason that Paul doesn't quote, quote a specific verse when he says that everything Christ did was according to the scriptures, right? In many other portions of scripture, you come across where Paul will quote something very specific. And you can go and find that cross-reference in Deuteronomy or somewhere else. or You know, you can find that reference. Here he just says, according to the scriptures. And he leaves it at that. You know why? Because there are more than 300 scriptures referring to Jesus' eternal pre-existence before he came to the earth as a man. The incarnation, what we refer to as the incarnation. Before he came to the earth, right? he was eternally pre-existent. There are verses describing that. There are verses describing his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. We have detailed prophecies of Jesus' virgin birth in Bethlehem. His sinless life, that he would be without sin. His atoning work for the sins of humanity through his death on a cross. I mean, you know, by the time the Romans were inventing that and doing that and, you know, making people suffer, and by the time they were administering crucifixions, that was the worst possible way that you could die. Cursed. You were cursed and considered. You know, this was like a, this was not what was expected. So here it is that the Bible was prophesying all of this. So, Detailed prophecies, his atoning work for the sins of humanity through his death on a cross and his resurrection to eternal life. Scripture after scripture referring to these things. In fact, the entire Bible is a message of the good news that God so loved the world that, he, that and not just that he loved the world, he loved each and every person individually, that he purposed even before the creation of the world to give Jesus for the forgiveness of sin so that whoever believes in him can have eternal life. That's the context, that's the premise, that's the, the setup for all these truths that we're reading about here. So when the word of God tells us that Christ died for our sins, we understand that God accounted for the sin that was there, the sin that had separated humanity from God, he accounted for it even before we had sinned. He said, I have a plan. I know what I will do. I know that human beings will sin and to fall away and will be separated from me. But I know what I will do in giving my son so that they will be reconciled to me. God had a plan. And that's the gospel message. That's the plan of salvation. When it says that God paid the price, the penalty that we could not pay. The wages of sin was death. Separation from God in a way that then, you know, no remedy for it. The wages of sin was total and complete in that sense. But God paid the price. He took the penalty. He said the justice, the pure and holy and right justice of God requires this punishment or this consequence. But since you are not able to do that, I will take care of it. That was the message of the cross. He says, I will send. I, I, am, I am coming to the earth as a man so that the penalty that you cannot pay, I'll take care of it. What an incredible statement. 
In fact, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 14, it says this, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This, is, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It's like, you know, that mortgage that you've got or that debt that you've got. It was nailed to the cross. No, it's not, don't, that, I'm not saying literally that your mortgages have been paid for on the cross. <laughs> I'm telling you that your debts of sin were accounted for in the Lord. And so we have a responsibility to take care of those things. But we have this incredible grace that God says, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. You had no way out. You couldn't rescue yourself. And I have done this where I have taken the debt that you owed and nailed it to the cross and said, cancel, done, paid, revoked, done. you're free. That is an incredible statement. You see, by doing all of this, Jesus bore the weight of all our sins when he died for our sins according to to the scriptures. This is an incredible statement, an incredible truth. If you have never thought deeply about this, I encourage you, this week, think afresh about this. The idea that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. What does that mean? How should that be even expressed in my life in terms of gratitude, in terms of understanding, in terms of remembering? Do I do that on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly? Do I do it at all? Where I say, oh God, I thank you for what you did. That you died on the cross to take away my sin. You died on the cross to get rid of my debt. I couldn't pay it. And you took care of it. Christ died on the cross. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The second point there, when he rose from the dead, oh, pardon me, when he was buried, before he rose from the dead, he was buried. When Jesus was buried, now this is, and I'll move quickly through this point because it's connected very much to when he rose from the dead, but think about this. Why did Jesus have to be buried and then, you know, be put in the tomb three days, three nights, all of this? Because he could have gone to the cross, right? He could have died for our sins, and then a a minute later, an hour later, maybe by the end of the day, God could have said, done, you're resurrected. You know why? Because even at the time of Christ, in, in the, the Bible itself tells us that the Romans, the Jewish leaders, they all said, tell the guards or tell the people that no, his disciples came and took the body. Or the, there's another whole popular thought that he swooned on the cross, and then he was revived, and then he just came back to life. That was the reason why people said, oh, he was resurrected. But you know what the Lord did? He said, I want you to be very sure that he physically died. This is not, you know, this is, I mean, we, we read about Lazarus, and when, when Jesus comes to Lazarus' tomb, it's, it's four days, and the people say, 
he's already what? The body is already smelling, yes. right? I mean, they know he's dead, he's buried, he's done. So for three days and three nights, Jesus' body remains in the tomb so that there is no possibility of saying, ah, he was faking his death, right? Somebody just did something. He was a body double. No, none of those things, right? Jesus died and was buried. God made that, you know, he, he knew what people would say. And he, he said, all right. You know, here, I'll show you very clearly. Jesus died on the cross. He gave his life. He paid the penalty. He didn't pretend. He didn't say, well, you deserve death. Death is the punishment. Death is the wages of sin. I'll, I'll sort of die. No, he said, I'll die for your sake. And I'll be buried so that there is no argument, no confusion, no doubt. I've died for your sins. But then, then, oh, on that wonderful resurrection day, he rose from the dead. And you know, Jesus, like so many other religious leaders, people who have founded movements and so on, could have a tomb somewhere. Oh, pardon me, could have a tomb in Israel. Right? There could have been a tomb there. That all the faithful will go year after year and do pilgrimage and honor the life of Jesus. And we may even say, oh, thank God that he died for our sins. But he died. But you know what? The Bible doesn't say that he remained dead. The Bible says that he rose again according to the scriptures. Why? Because God wanted to make it very, very clear that death has no hold on him. The grave has no victory over him. That he is giving us eternal life because he is the or originator of eternal life. And so he says, I want to make it very clear. I'm not just dying for your sins. I'm not just paying your debts. I'm not just letting you come in back in relationship with me. I am also victorious. I am an overcomer. I am the one who is over death and the grave. No matter what age you are, you may be thinking, ah, oh, death, I don't know. Guess what? Our God is a God who is victorious. Death has no victory. The grave has no sting. There's nothing. Death has no hold on us. We say to death, sure, no problem. Because to die in this earth is to be present with the Lord. I got no issue. It doesn't matter what age, and it doesn't matter by what means I leave this earth. I'm good. That's the victory that the Lord has given us because of Jesus rising from the dead. He rose from the dead and is victorious over death and the grave. Every time we face some sort of situation in our life, every time we're concerned about a loved one, every time we hear a report of some calamity, some, somebody you know, in their sleep and then you know, the bomb explodes or something happens, we have to say, oh Lord God, my hope is not in this earth or the things of this earth or in the quality of my life or in the length of my days. My hope is in Christ who has conquered death and the grave and therefore has given me life. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm excited about.
And then the Bible says that he was seen after his resurrection. Again, why did God have to do that? Why not after the resurrection, seen by the few over there, you know, the women who came to the tomb, you know, a few of the disciples, particularly Peter, because he had to be sort of put back in place, you know. Uh, why not stop right there? Why be seen by 500 people? Why continue to appear through all these days, you know, after the resurrection? Because it was very clear, it became very clear that this was a historical fact that could not be denied. Because even when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he says, some of these 500 have fallen asleep, but some are still alive. And you know what that means? That when these disciples, when these apostles, when the church was going around saying, Jesus was resurrected, they could have easily verified whether that was true or not. Because they could have gone to all that, all that place and said, did you see Jesus? Nope, never saw him. Never saw him after he died, right? So I got plenty of bread before he died, but after he died, never saw him. No, that was not the case. There were more than 500 people who were saying, we saw him. We saw him. We experienced his interaction with us. You know, we ate the food that he prepared after he was resurrected. We saw him ascending into heaven. We saw it. Do you realize that there is more historical record of Jesus' resurrection than most things we study in history books? There was this eyewitness account there were independent folks testifying or writing about, describing the life of Jesus. None of those sources, none of those things say, oh, this whole thing, resurrection, that was all just a hoax. We know where the tomb is. We know where the body is buried. This was just a, a, you know, a hoax. No. The historical record allows us to be with this, have this confidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, I said, you know, there are more than 300 verses and so on. I, I want to keep coming back to that point. Ultimately, it's not whether there were 500 witnesses or not, really. It's about the fact that the Word of God is telling us this. It's about the fact that the Holy Spirit has borne witness to Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so we say, oh God, thank you. I believe you. I trust your Word. I receive your word. Now, remember that the charge to us in verse 2 was to hold firmly to the word that we have received and believed. Not just that we have received it, not just that we have believed it, but that we would hold firmly. Right? How did Paul hold firmly to the word? How can we hold firmly to the word? It's all about... God's grace. Here in verse 10 are the key truths or three key truths about the grace of God. Because Paul writes this or essentially is describing this. He says, we are what we are by the grace, the unmerited favor of God. 
Not our works, not anything else that we should boast, but we are what we are. He says, I am who I am. I am what I am now. I was a persecutor of the church. I was some, somebody who was coming against God. You know, I was abnormally born, he says. And he says, but I am what I am now by the grace of God. We are what we are now. We are who we are now. We have our identity in Christ. We are set apart. We are chosen. We are made new because of the grace of God. And then, second, the grace of God is at work in us to effect change. Paul says, the grace of God is affecting me. It is having an effect in my life. Right? And what does it do? What is this effect of the word of God or the grace of God? To transform us into his likeness. Every single day, there's a transformative work taking place in us. Right? You're, you know, every day if you're exercising, you're expecting a transformative work to happen. Right? You're expecting weight to be lost, muscles to be built up, to feel better. Oh, well, guess what? The word of God and the grace of God is meant to have that effect in us, transforming us into his likeness so that on a daily basis we would say, God, I see your grace at work in me. And third, God's grace is always with us and empowers us to fulfill his purpose and plan for our lives. Right? Paul says... I know that grace of God is with me to do these things. He says, I'm not doing them just because I'm able to do them. I know exactly what to do. I have all the physical strength to do it. I have all the resources. You know, I don't need you know, anybody else. I've got it under control. No, he says, the grace of God is at work. The grace of God, the unmerited favor of God is at work. You see, in Romans chapter 5, verses 20 to 21, it states this. Now the law came in to increase the trespass or to make it clear what the sin is, what the trespass is, how we have fallen short of the glory of God, what the sin has done to the world and us individually. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So how does that happen? How did that happen? Titus chapter 3 verses 4 to 7 it says this, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know, I mean, it can't be plainer, it can't be simpler. Just let the word get into you. What was the result of all of this action of God? This justification by grace. This being found worthy or being found righteous because, not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Are you still drawing breath on this earth? God has some work for you to do. Prepared beforehand. You know when? Before even you were born. Before even the creation of this world. He had a purpose and a plan for you. Before you decided to get married. Before you decided to do it and go into the army. Before you decided all those things. He had a plan. And he says, I have a plan for you. Beforehand, God has put these things together so that we should walk in them. We are what we are by the grace of God, not because of our own merits or what we have accomplished in our own strength. We say, God, this is what you have done in me, and I praise you for it. That's what Paul is saying. He's not boasting about himself. He says, oh, I am where I am because of the grace of God. And how is the grace of God at work in us in this way? You know, when he talks about the fact that it's not just the fact that I am where I am by the grace of God, I am also seeing the work of God taking effect in me and working in me and making a difference. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 14 says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. What is the good that we're eager to do? That which the Lord has prepared beforehand for us to do. And we're eager to do it. Not eager to pursue our own ambitions. Not eager to pursue our own passions. In fact, we have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires and all these worldly desires and passions. And we're saying, oh God, what you have purposed for me, what you have ordained for me, what the plan that you have for me, plan to give me that hope in a future, whether it's a new job, whether it's a new place, whether it's a new assignment, whether it's a new season, whatever it may be, Lord God, I will trust you and I will look to you and I will see the fulfillment that you bring oh when we are eager to do that and we can allow the grace of God to be taking effect in us it allows us to say no to ungodliness you see things around you that are ungodly don't rail against it don't try to you know shout that person down you are terrible get them to understand the grace of God point them to Jesus Help them to understand how they can receive this word, how they can believe this word, and then how they can hold firmly to this word. You see, the work of God in us is not getting us to become a better us. You be a better you, right? The work of God in us is to change us to be like him so that it's all about glorifying God. So that people can look at us and say, hmm, I am pretty sure this is not you. Right? right? I mean, they should be able to testify of God's goodness and God's power in us and God's work in us and say, oh, surely this must be the grace of God. 
I want to know what this is. I want to experience this. I want to hold firmly to this. I want to have some hope and certainty in my life. I want to have an anchor. I don't want to be blown around by every wind of change. Right? The world is rife with that. And people are anxious because of that. And every little change that happens around them, economy, this thing, that thing, oh, it sets them off. How are you able to keep going? Because you say, oh, it's not me. It is the grace of God that is at work in my life. It is this gospel. It is this word that allows me to know that he is embodied in me through the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have been talking about gifts and work of the Holy Spirit. We're praying for the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We're saying, this year, Lord, we want to press in. We want to see the Holy Spirit being manifest in our midst. That means that we need to yield to the Holy Spirit. That means we need to hold firmly to the promises He has made. That means when He says, I will come and I will fill you. I will give you gifts. I will tame your tongue. I will let you move in these ways. We have to say, God, be, let it be. Let it be to me as you have said. Let it be to your servant as you have willed. That we would yield to the word of God. That we would yield to the purpose of God. The Holy Spirit does not, even as we were talking about when we talked about prophecy and the control of the spirits of the prophets, are, or the spirits are subject to the control of the prophets, that we would say, Lord God, I'm not doing this where I am out of control. I am yielding to you so that you may take control. So that you may say, this is the way. And I will put my foot there and I'll walk. And I'll obey you. And I'll do this to your glory. Oh, when we do that, when we are allowing the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to be in us, and the effect is clear, the maturity starts to come, the development is there, then we can respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by holding firmly to the gospel message. This morning I want to encourage you that you would apply the word of God. Right? I asked you or I said at the beginning, do you regularly remember the gospel? Christ died on the cross for my sins. He was buried. He rose again according to the scriptures. He was seen by many. He has given me grace. That grace of God is, makes me who I am. That grace of God allows me to be transformed. That grace of God is at work in me to fulfill his purpose. Do I rehearse that every single day? Because maybe, maybe you don't, but, you know, but if we do, the more we do, that's the truth that's going to be in our heads. Not the truth of the world or, or the statements of the world. Not the, the reports that would come to us. Not the, not the things that say, mm, you're not good enough. But rather, these statements of the gospel message, that we would hold firmly to that. Right? The drowning man, or, or, or the one who jumps out of the plane with the, without the parachute, will grab onto anything. Right? Will hold on firmly because that's their only hope. Right? They'll, they'll, they'll cling to it. What do we cling to? Do we cling to our jobs? Do we cling to our health? Do we cling to our family? Do we cling to our church? Do we cling to things of this world? Do we say, oh, if I only have this, if I hold firmly to this, I'll be okay. The Bible says, hold firmly to the Lord Jesus. 
hold firmly to the gospel. Apply the gospel. Let this be real in our lives, individually, as families and as a church. Every single day, every single week, month, year over year, that we would say, Lord God, this is what is causing me to move forward. This is what I would believe. This is how I'm going to do this. And so I want to encourage you, whether you're just about to go in for a surgery or you're facing some other situation or you've heard bad news from somebody else or you have something that you are concerned about or you have something that you're concerned about your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren and there's something there that makes you worry, go back to the Word of God and say, Lord God, I want to apply your Word. I want to let your peace guard my heart and mind because these are your promises. This is what you said will happen. This is how you said that we should appropriate the grace of God. I'm pulling that ripcord. I'm going to do the, I'm going to take that action because this is what you said is available for me. I'm going to avail myself of what you have offered, of what you have given. You've given me Jesus. I want all of Jesus. You've given me the Holy Spirit. I want all of the Holy Spirit. You've given me your word. I want to study your word. You've given me the body of Christ, my brothers and sisters. Oh, I'm going to be in fellowship with them. You've given me your commands. I'm going to obey them. You've given me everything I need for life and godliness. Oh, Lord God, help me to live according to what you've already given. I don't need to chase after some new mystery. I don't have to find out when, you know, what's going on. Does the Ukraine war mean this? Does that have? I don't have to worry. I can simply do what you have already asked me to do. Live up to what I have already attained and let the Lord work his grace in me. In the church, I want to encourage you, even as we keep moving forward through the rest of this year, let us avail ourselves of the gospel message. Let us keep coming back to that. Christianity is a very simple message. It's not complicated, right? It, there's nothing complicated about Christianity. Jesus came, he died for our sins, he rose again. Because you believe in that and receive that grace, you can be saved. You can now live by this grace of God. The Holy Spirit can come into you and give you strength and power for every day. These are all simple statements. Now, there are plenty of people around you that don't believe that. But these are not complicated things. You can simply state the gospel message to somebody else and then pray. Pray for the work of the Holy Spirit that they may receive, that they may believe, and that they may hold firmly to the word that they have received. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that, Lord, you have given us your word and you've given it to us in a way that, Lord, can transform our lives. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for that. And I pray, Father, that your gospel message, the good news of what Christ has done, will ring in our hearts and in our minds and in our ears and just be always with us so that, Lord, whenever we face a difficult situation, Lord, our first thought would be, oh, thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the good news. Thank you, Lord, for what Christ did for me. Thank you, Lord, that I have all that I need and I am who I am. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because of the grace of God. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your unmerited favor. Lord, as a church, let us be victorious. 
Not because the circumstances suddenly change, not because we don't go through trials and tribulations and calamities and Lord's sword and pestilence and disease and famine. All these things may happen. But in the midst of it, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, oh Lord God, we rejoice that you are with us Amen. and that your presence comforts us. Amen. You strengthen us. Oh Lord God, what more could we need? And so Lord, help us to rest in that. Help us to be content in that. Help us to be, Lord, looking to Jesus only. Thank you, Lord, for what you did. Thank you that you have given in every way like this so that we can move forward. We can live in this earth. We can look forward to, we can look forward to eternity. Death is just a transition. Oh, Lord, we can look forward to being with you. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. Let our church, Lord, be characterized as, Lord, a full gospel church. Not because we have some doctrinal statement, but because we are holding firmly. We are holding firmly to this gospel message that we have received, believed, and our Lord allowing to work in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.